We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. of setting the pace here on Foch Fridays. I am joined by a very special guest, Jake Elrod, host of the Circle City Podcast. Jake, what's going on? Not too much, man. Ready to get the All-Star Weekend going. Excited to see our guy Domas in there. And it was nice to get the monkey off our back with that brutal losing streak. Good to end it on a positive note with a big home win. Ding dong, the streak is dead. The Pacers finally get a win. Uh, They were going into the All-Star break on a six-game losing streak before they take down Milwaukee, obviously the team with the best record in the NBA. Look, Giannis didn't play, but we didn't tell him not to. So what are we going to do? Just not win the game? I mean, the Pacers had to come out strong, and I feel like that's what they did for at least the first half of the game. I mean, what were your thoughts on the performance that you saw last night? You know, I just saw a much more connected team on both ends of the floor. I mean, there was a lot of talk about, you know, energy and things like that. But, you know, on both ends of the floor, I just thought the team was much more connected and aggressive. And, you know, it's funny. We talk about aggressiveness and not all of it is is energy or fatigue. A lot of it is, you know, being used to playing with each other. And I just felt like that you saw a lot better nonverbal communication, a lot better rotations defensively. I thought we did a much better job closing out on their shooters, um, you know, and kind of filtering them in the paint where Miles Turner could do his thing. And, you know, we attacked the paint a lot better. I know on your guys' last show you had talked about the free throw and how that was hurting the team, and we shot 24 of them. 
Uh, so that was an improvement. We did a good job in the paint. And overall, I just thought for the most part, it, it was a much more sound performance and, and very impressive. I mean, you talk about Giannis not playing, but that was still a team that was 5-0 and without him. They're a very deep, solid team. So it was a, it was an impressive win nonetheless. It really was. I mean, it was the first loss in the Central Division the Bucks had all year, making it even more impressive. Pacers ended up shooting 52% from the field. It was about 62% in the first half when they built, I think it was a 23-point lead going into half. Um, I really felt strong about the first half performance, but I got a little nervous in the third quarter because the Pacers come out, they only score 14 points. Milwaukee outscores them by 12, and then Milwaukee drops 40 on the Pacers in the fourth quarter. Pacers, they put up 36, so sure, that's good from an offensive standpoint. But, Jake, were you getting a little nervous towards the end, being like, is this the same thing that's happened over the last six games because the Pacers, once again, lost the fourth quarter? Well, I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't, honestly, Fachi. I mean, it was it was just we've seen the collapse in Toronto. You know, this team just hasn't been able to find that ability to close with this unit. And, you know, they cut it in. And you just get that feeling of here we go again. And, and you know, fortunately, you hate to see arguably your best player on the season get into foul trouble, but Sabonis got into foul trouble, and Miles Turner came in and really turned the tide there. Um, you know, with his defense, that small lineup did did a lot of damage against Milwaukee. And, you know, that hit him coming into the game, I think, really won us the game. So, uh, you know, I think that that was a fortunate aspect for us, that he was reinserted into the game. And um, it was just great to see those guys close. And now – you know, a lot like a shooter seeing the ball go in the hoop. Now that this team knows they can close together, maybe that that gets those thoughts of doubt out of their mind as games close. And, you know, I mean, we lost a lot of winnable games during this stretch, and that affects you mentally. So hopefully now that they beat a quality team going into the All-Star break and they can kind of, you know, reset themselves mentally, hopefully this sets them up for a long winning streak coming out of the All-Star game. I think this is just what the doctor prescribed because the Pacers needed this win so bad. I mean, when you're talking about Miles Turner, we have to stop and give him the credit because for some reason when things go wrong, he gets all the blame. And when things go right, I don't know if he's getting enough credit. But last night, Miles looked confident and aggressive. I mean, his numbers were not going to blow anyone away, but he walks away with a double-double, 14 points, 10 rebounds. If, if you're a plus-minus guy, he led the team in plus-minus. So... I mean, 6 of 13 shooting, sure, that's never going to blow anyone away. But the shots looked good last night. I mean, even some of his misses were like, oh, all right, that was a good look. We saw him take it in at times. Um, and I also just think that he he just he looked more involved. And that's kind of what you wanted because this was a fourth quarter where we saw Miles play a lot more than the previous games when you're wondering, why is he not out there in the first place? So I felt like that's the kind of Miles Turner bounce-back performance you were looking for, and it was right when the Pacers needed it because offensively, sure, hey, he was great, 14 points. Defensively, I mean, he had a very clutch block towards the end of the game that kind of stopped the Milwaukee run just when we needed it because, Jake, I was getting nervous. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, like I said, anybody would with the stretch we're on. And, you know, you talk about Miles defensively, and, you know, you talk about his usage and his defense. And, you know, one thing that I don't hear a lot about, about Miles' value, and we, we saw this in the past with Roy Hibbert, when, and what's made this run so frustrating with, with the three-pointers we've allowed. I mean, we had a franchise record at one point of three-pointers allowed during this stretch. 
And it just frustrates me to see our guards that are so willing to lag off of perimeter shooters and overhelp because if we're aggressive and we close out on them and we funnel them into the interior, Miles Turner will take care of that. And I think that us lagging off of those players is really limiting his best asset, which is protecting the rim. He's one of the top two or three rim protectors in the league and one of the best paint defenders in the league. And it's just odd to me that I watch this team night in and night out continuously try to help defense on on uh, on other shooters and allow these guys to shoot wide open perimeters when we should be closing out and funneling them in the paint towards him. And I think it really limits his best attribute for us. I completely agree. I mean, at times he's just so far away from the hoop where, I mean, you you want him to be able to do what he does best. Utilize him to his best ability because I was just saying on one of the recent episodes with, with Alex Golden that we were talking about Miles is so coveted, but why aren't we playing him to the best of his ability when the, it seems like there's a handful of teams that would love to have Miles Turner and would be able to use him to the best of his ability that you saw in a game where Sabonis struggled from the field, 4-15, was in foul trouble just as you touched on before. It was the other guys picking it up. I mean, Sabonis has 40-plus double-doubles on the year, but how crazy is it that we just touched on a win against Milwaukee and we didn't even talk about what T.J. Warren did last night. I mean... Yeah, I mean, you, you see that T.J. Warren can be one of the most unique scorers in the league. I mean, there's a lot of jokes about mid-range shooting in this game, but T.J. Warren is one of the best mid-range players in the game. And, you know, honestly, I think it's a big reason why we got him for nothing but, you know, cash and got a pick in return uh, for him. I, I think that's a big reason why, because he is known as a mid-range guy, and it's become a huge steal for us. And he's able to attack players in that area where there's not a lot of focus defensively. He takes advantage of it. He's in a, He's a fantastic finisher and you know we talk about guys' usage on this team but you know it's surprising that tj warren only puts up 14 shots per game when you see shot when you see performances like that i mean with oladipo coming back in the fold malcolm brogdon you know has been struggling late and and obviously tj's missed time recently but you know i i think that he should be also more involved in the offense with his ability to score really at will wherever he wants he's just such an aggressive offensive scorer and you know like you said his scoring output really carried us uh, in that game against Milwaukee. And, you know, I'm I'm interested to see if, if they involve him more. You know, I know they want to get Victor acclimated, but he's really the guy that can carry us through those stretches when the offense is struggling. And, and it was very apparent in the game against Milwaukee. Fantastic point right there, because here's the thing. I mean, we're trying to basically get used to Vic compared to him getting used to the team. And last night was a game that we saw Victor Oladipo only shoot seven shots. And he had his most efficient game from the floor. And it was T.J. Warren who we needed. I mean, down the stretch in the fourth quarter, Warren's rattling off six points just when you needed every single one of those points. And in the first half, he set the tone. I mean, you could say, say it sounds cheesy, but he set the pace in the first half because he had over 20 points going into halftime. And we needed every, all, every single bit of it. So T.J. Warren, but also what gets completely brushed over seven rebounds last night for tj warren second most on the season in a game where the pacers i highlighted they've been out rebounded by 50 rebounds over the six game losing streak they come out and they match milwaukee rebound for rebound 44 piece i thought that was an underrated part of tj's game last night yeah and just the team in general i mean to grab 50 rebounds 
I mean, nobody had double digit rebounds, but like you said, he was he was a big uh, component in that. Besides Miles Turner, um, nobody else had double digit rebounds. So that goes to show that that guys were getting involved and guys were more active on the glass. I mean, there's been talks of are they too dependent on Domas to go get those rebounds? Why are the guards not boxing out? And and again, that just goes back to the connectiveness of it all and you know the aggressiveness. And and I think this team you know may have finally realized, hey, we have to be more active. We have to be you know, more aggressive in, in our games because we're just not getting the, the, the job done. We're losing the teams that we should be beating. And they came out last night and they took care of really all the points that you and Alex have talked about recently and a lot of what other people have talked about. I mean, maybe you would have liked to have more three-point shots, but, you know, in order to get to the free throw line, you have to attack the paint, and they did that. So they took care of a lot of areas last uh, in the last game. So I'm really excited to see you know, having another week to be able to digest this and see where they had success, how are they going to come out of the all-star break and be able to carry that over into the second half of the season? I think the all-star break is coming at the perfect time. This team, they looked just at times kind of gassed. I mean, the second half, the fourth quarters, when they would roll around, it, it seemed like the Pacers had already given their best output in the first half of some of those games. And I feel like right now is the perfect time where, hey, Vic's got, say, seven games underneath his belt now, maybe eight games, and it's enough to say, okay, what do I need to do differently? This was the game where I was saying previously on the previous episode of Setting the Pace, why hasn't Vic had those games where it's maybe like eight shots, maybe ten shots, where he comes out seven shots, and I think that it worked out perfectly. Now, we're not going to say we're just going to cut Oladipo shots in half, but go on the, the basis of who has the hot hand. Don't force it. Because last night, TJ Warren had the hot hand. He pretty much got whatever he wanted, and it paid off. But it sounds like a crime to leave out what ended up being a cold dish of revenge last night in Malcolm Brogdon matching a career-high 13 assists. It goes. It's like brushed under the rug, but Brogdon, 17 points, 13 assists. He had the offense just gelling, and the Pacers, they got good looks, 28 assists. I mean, that's pretty much like anytime you're getting close to 30 assists, it's expected you probably won that game because your offense was in sync. What did you think of Brogdon last night? Yeah, I mean, if anybody needed a, a game like this going into the All-Star break, it was Malcolm and there's been a lot of speculation about what's wrong with him. Is he still struggling with injuries? Is it Victor Oladipo, you know, that concussion? We we really don't know, but we do know that when we watch him, he's just looked a lot slower. He's looked more out of touch. You know, defenses are starting to be able to adapt to him and Sabonis on the pick and roll more, and he struggled with that a bit. But, I, I mean, it was a huge bounce-back game for him. I mean, that, that fourth quarter, he came out and was very aggressive, had a, big, had a big run to close the game, which is what he's done for us all season. And, and he's really a guy that makes this thing go. I mean, I don't think that, you know, it's any coincidence that even though a guy like Sabonis has been putting up big numbers or things like that, that the fact that Brogdon is struggling has resulted in losses because he's ultimately the guy that makes this thing run. And when he's playing well, this team wins. And when he's playing poorly, the team usually loses. And, you know, obviously it's a team game and you don't want to put it all on one guy, but it's the point guard. He's handling the ball every possession and he really sets the tone for what we want to do. And to have him have, like you said, tying a career high in assists, that's huge. That shows he was facilitating at a high level. He was scoring at a decent clip. The three-point shot still hasn't found itself, but, you know, his career shows he'll get that back. And 
more than anything, it was just great to see him find a rhythm and be able to, like everyone on this team, really, that needed it. You talk about Miles, Victor, you know, those guys that, that kind of want, would you would love to find themselves before this break. They did that, and going in, it's just, it's just such a relief to be able to have all of those guys, including Malcolm, be able to find the rhythm and have some positivity going into this break after a brutal stretch. It really is. I think, like, when I mentioned that the All-Star break is coming at the perfect time, Brogdon is someone who's had, like, five minor injuries just all adding up where who even knows what this guy's body feels like right now you know he mentioned before that his body has went through a lot and it kind of started starting to feel like he's getting healthier now and I think that he's someone who underratedly just kind of needs a break I mean Brogdon is playing just a bigger role than he's played in the NBA previously and I think it's starting to catch up with him I think the percentages are going to come back, just like you mentioned. We just got to give it time because we saw this guy was an all-star in October and November. And now I think if he had made the all-star game, I think people would have unfairly been criticizing him to say, oh, come on, that's not an all-star. And we saw that even happen with Sabonis. And that was ridiculous because he's an all-star. And I don't think that can be denied. Brogdon, we felt like he showed enough flashes where, hey, he could be an all-star here with the Pacers. You just got to give him some time. Well, and I think also, too, I mean, if you look back to his success in Milwaukee and you talk about the bigger role that he's had, yes, he was a guard there, but they did a lot with him off ball. And now a combination of a, of a minutes increase, uh, you know, a role increase, and being the primary ball handler, like you said, has probably taken a toll on his body. It's taken a, role, a toll on him physically in terms of fatigue. And, and now, you know, with him being able to reset, come back, and with Victor coming back, I mean, we know he's going to be able to eventually at some point take some of that ball-handling responsibilities on him. And that's where I don't really have worries about his three-point shot or his shooting percentage because he's going to get a lot more off-ball looks with Victor coming back. And I know there's been some chatter about them fit-wise. I don't think that's going to be an issue, especially when Victor gets acclimated to playing with him. But, I mean, all in all, just to see him find a little bit of himself and not go into the all-star break down is big. And, and I mean, the thing with the great thing about Malcolm is he, he reminds me of Victor and that he has a very calm demeanor. He has a very level demeanor. He doesn't get too high or low on himself. So I don't think even if he had went into the all-star break struggling, it would have meant too much. But it is still great, I mean, at least for the fan perspective, to see a guy that is so vital to this team's success on both ends of the floor to be able to go in on a positive note. It really is. I couldn't have put that better myself. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back to cover uh, the lineup, basically. The the nine-man rotation we saw last night and McDermott not going to the three-point contest. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, we are back. And, I, Jake, I wanted to get your thoughts on what you saw last night with just a very cut-and-clean nine-man rotation. We did not see Goga last night. We did not see Aaron Holiday. All five starters played basically 30 minutes. Oladipo played 29. We saw Justin Holiday at 25 and Jeremy Lamb at 26. Just Doug McDermott and TJ McConnell playing under 13 minutes apiece. Is this something that you think we're going to see moving forward? And what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I have no problem with cutting Goga out. I mean, I've been vocal on our other podcast that getting him these useless five minutes in intervals isn't really doing much for him or the team or giving up, 
you know, scoring in bunches and, and he just looks, you know, really out of sync out there. So I don't think it's doing much for him to get those little incremental stretches. And then in terms of Aaron, like it, I think this is going to be a debate all year with Pacers fans about whether they want to see Jeremy or Aaron, because Jeremy's going to have good games like he did last night. And then there's going to be times where he struggles. And, you know, we all know the flashes Aaron holiday brings. So, I mean, I like the nine man rotation. It'll be interesting to see how Jeremy, cause I think he's really the X factor in how that bench is going to ultimately look, how he finds his footing with that second unit. But if he continues to find himself the way he did in that Milwaukee game, I mean, solid performance. I mean, 13 points, six rebounds, and and shooting 50% from the field. If we can get that from him every night off the bench, I I think that that's something that I can definitely get behind. But it's just going to be interesting to see if they decide at any point to reinsert Aaron back into this rotation because again he's a guy that provides scoring in bunches he's an energetic defender I don't think he gets enough credit for you know I don't think he's necessarily a high quality defender but he brings a lot of energy on that side draws charges and does some good things so I I think it'll it'll really be interesting to see how that tug of war between Jeremy and Aaron kind of plays out throughout the season but ultimately I think a nine-man rotation is is what's best for this team going into the postseason. I can't disagree with any anything you said because Jeremy Lamb, look, 13 points, 6 rebounds. Like we mentioned before, it's, those aren't stats that blow anyone away or make you, you know, really emphasize his performance. But it's just a two-game sample size. But since he's moved to the bench, he's shooting 9 of 18 from the field. Um, he's rebounding a little, you know, a little bit more. I mean, nothing crazy. I think he's averaging like 5 rebounds. That's probably pretty much what he was averaging. But basically, you're just seeing a more... I can't say consistent if it's just two games, but this is what we need out of him. We need double-digit scoring. It does not need to be above 15. If you can give us 13 points a night and chip in five or six rebounds, no one's ever going to complain about that. Now, Aaron Holiday, would we like to see him play more? Of course we would, but it just seems like McMillan does not have the the long leash for Aaron right now with Victor Oladipo back and it seems like he is the guy that at times we're probably not going to see at all and if someone gets hurt or someone's in foul trouble yeah he might pop back in it's a shame because I do think Aaron Holiday is a good player I I think that if he was on a, a losing team I think we would see him put up some great performances probably 20 points you know, here and there on, on a team where they're just getting, you know, blown out, not really winning much. But for us, we kind of needed him to become more of a veteran on the fly in year two. And that's that's a lot to ask at times. But when you're talking about five minutes for Goga, I mean, is that even really anything? It's like he could come down there, pick up a, a stupid foul, and then everyone's like, oh, my God, get him out of here. And then it just seems like he's doing more harm than good. So, why not spend the year in the G League and just dominate? I mean, we're, we're seeing the performances. He is the definition of the in-between guy. You send him down in the G League, he crushes it. He'll give you 20 points. He'll give you 15 rebounds. You bring him up there, and you're like, this guy's lost right now. So in college standards, you take a redshirt year. This year, it just seems like, hey, it's hard to play three bigs. So maybe we just kind of spend, he spends more time in the G League and we go with that nine-man rotation for now. But what one thing I wanted to touch on, when we mentioned that Oladipo only had seven shots and TJ Warren had 19 shots, do we think 
if T if Oladipo thinks he's not as back as he should be, that he maybe gives more responsibilities to TJ Warren because I'm a fan of rolling with the hot hand. TJ Warren on the on the year he's shooting over fifty percent. I mean that guy has been a reliable bucket. He does not take too many shots from three point three point range. We know he's not a great three point shooter. He shoots a good percentage, but we're, he's not the kind of guy who puts up a high volume of threes. So at times, I think Vic needs to maybe be like, "Hey, look, it's still my team, but I need to trust everybody." Is there anything there that you disagree with? No, not at all. I, I mean, I've had I've had quietly a little bit of an issue with TJ Warren's numbers all year. I mean, we've been winning, so you know you don't want to be negative in any sort of that light. But you know, I I, I feel like that a guy that has his sort of scoring skill set. I think he's the best scorer on the team right now, and I, I don't think it's necessarily think so. that close. Go ahead. No, I think so. I agree. I, I, I love what Sabonis does, I think, but I think that his his numbers are great. I mean, he's averaging about 13.5 shots per game, which is great because it, it, it shows his ability to be consistent and effective with a limited amount of shots. And, and you know, he's not nearly as, as versatile as Warren, so I don't really have a trouble with that, even though he's shooting 54%. But TJ Warren, I just feel like, is a guy that should be getting up around 16 or 17 per game. I mean, he's not even in, in the top 50 in terms of shots taken per game the last time I checked in the last week. Uh, maybe that went up with his with his scoring uh, number of 19 field goals in the last game. But I just feel like all year that this is a guy that the Pacers should look to go to more than maybe ne- they necessarily do. And especially, like you said, with, you know, Victor, it was nice to see him get, go 5 of 7. But all in all, since he's been back, you know, his scoring percentage has really hurt the offense in terms of our ability to score, score points. So I, I think that, you know, there is a lot of merit to that, that he's seeing T.J. Warren really produce the way he is when he's on court. I think maybe you go out of the all-star break and say, oh, okay, maybe we're going to run more through T.J. Warren for the time being until, like you said, Victor's comfortable taking 14, 15, 16 shots per game. And it's tough on Victor, too, because Victor's used to being the guy, and when guys are lagging off on him, it's just an instinct to take that shot. I mean, he's taking these shots because guys are lagging off of him. They're going underneath screens. They're giving him space because they know he's not acclimated yet. They're not afraid of him because of the fact he's coming off of an injury. But, you know, I, and that that's why I don't really hold it too much against Victor because it's just his natural instinct as a guy that's been a leader on this team. But I think it would be wise for us, and, and the score of tonight of last night's game proves it, that, that the more T.J. Warren is involved offensively, the better we are for it. It's true because I brought up a stat um, a couple episodes back that in, and it was at the time it was in the 23 games that T.J. Warren scored 20 or more. Every single game, he shot over 50% in. So when this guy is truly involved and locked in and getting a high volume of shots, he has not made the Pacers suffer for it at all. This is not a guy who has a, a 4 of 17 game, not to take a shot at Vic at all, because that is not what I'm trying to say from a couple nights ago. It's just like when he's shooting a high volume, it's because he's hot. And I think at times you need to ride that out. And last night, even on the defensive side of things, four steals, it, it gets just completely brushed over there. But the Pacers had 33 points off of the Bucks' 18 turnovers. And we're seeing TJ Warren locked in on both sides of the ball. So just something awesome to see. Look, we're not going to say after this game, look, there's a new leader in town. But I just I want to be able to see Vic be like, hey, maybe it's just not my night and I'm going to let someone else have the night. Or I'm not back yet, so let's let my teammates just kind of get the more shots up. I'll, I'll, I'll get there one day because he will. 
I think having a week off right now is something for Vic, who's been able to play the eight games, is like, wow, all right, you know what? I'm going to be able to adjust to this, make the improvements, and he's going to be just fine. There's a soft schedule coming up. But, Jake, as we move on, one of the topics today that kind of irked me a little bit was Damian Lillard drops out of the three-point contest because he's got a groin injury, and they just replace him with Devin Booker. Now, Jake, I get it. If you're going to replace Lillard in the All-Star game with Booker, that's more than fine. Devin Booker is having a really good year despite the team's record. But the three-point contest, do you think that he was a deserving fit over Doug McDermott? I mean, I personally don't. I mean, obviously, you know, we watch the Pacers night in, night out. We see how lethal Doug McDermott is. Anyone that even glances at the three-point percentage knows Doug McDermott is one of the top, you know, three or four three-point percentage leaders in the league. But, you know, a lot of it's about volume, too. I mean, you can make the same argument about a guy like George Hill you know, leading the league in three-point percentage and didn't get in. And, you know, with those guys, a lot of it is, you know, they, they aren't shooting at high volume. They aren't, you know, in critical roles in big markets. I mean, a lot of the All-Star game, too, is is just is just fanfare. I mean, like you said, you mentioned earlier about Sabonis getting flack for being selected an All-Star. I mean, it, it's ridiculous when you look at his impact on this team. He definitely deserves it, but he gets flack because he plays for Indiana and he's a grind a grinding player. Um, so it's the same kind of situation with McDermott. He's only shooting about four per game, and he's a bench player on the Indiana Pacers. So obviously it's frustrating. He should have been in. Objectively, anybody that looks at it, he should have been in. But, you know, I get it. It just is what it is. It's, it's Like I said, it's fanfare. It's for views. It's for ratings. And, you know, at the end of the day, Devin Booker is going to draw – you know, a bigger, a bigger amount of attention than a guy like Doug McDermott. So I hate it for him. He's having a great season. And, and, you know, for us, basically that that's really all I care about, but it would have been nice to see him be able to get rewarded for the season he had to be selected in that three point contest. No, it really would have. And, and, you know, I was, I was a bit confused. So I went, I went looking for a good hole. I grabbed my shovel and I started digging for stats because I thought, you know what, surely Devin Booker must have made a lot more threes than, Doug McDermott. It must be a volume thing. And I looked at it. Doug McDermott, he's shooting 4.4 threes per game. Devin Booker is shooting 5.4 threes per game. Not much of a difference. They're both at 1.9 made three-pointers per game. But McDermott is 9% higher. Doug McDermott has made five more threes in 42 less attempts than Devin Booker, and that is something that I cannot justify because it had me shocked that both guys are right around 65th in the league and threes made, which I could justify if Devin Booker was higher. But Doug McDermott is flat out a better shooter on less volume, and it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and it just circles back to just the all-star game. It's just, you know, a lot of guys just gloss over who's the biggest name and who's going to draw the fanfare, and that's just what it is. Like I said, you could you could look at the at the statistics for like 0.5 seconds and see that McDermott is a more capable and effective shooter than Devin Booker. I did the same thing as you. I went and looked at it because, admittedly, I don't watch a ton of Devin Booker, so I, wanted, I was interested to see how his three-point numbers looked, and I was as shocked as you are to see those numbers. I mean, you think that a guy that gets inserted is, you know, a Boyan Bogdanovich-style you know, three-point launcher, and he just isn't. Um, McDermott's having a better season in that area. It's not even close. And like I said, objectively, he should be in there. It's just one of those things we kind of have to swallow it. And, you know, I'm just grateful he's on our team making shots in the games that matter. 
No, it's true. It's true. It's it's unfortunate because I feel like McDermott would have been a great representation for the Pacers. I felt like he really could have had a great shot at winning it. Uh, just running down the list of participants, we have Davis Bertans, Devin Booker, Devontae Graham, Joe Harris, Buddy Heald, Zach Levine, Duncan Robinson, and Trey Young. Just wanted to get a quick prediction from you. Who do you think takes home the trophy? I mean, man, it's it's just so tough. You get in those situations, and and those guys just, you know, you'll get a guy that lights it up. But I, I'm gonna go with Trey Young, man. I mean, he's a guy that you know can effortlessly flick his wrist and make it from 35. So you know, I think he's really gonna shine. They have a lot of really good three point shooters on there, but you know, Trey Young's the guy that sticks out for me. Yeah, I mean, Trey Young can definitely shoot from all all parts of the court. I know they added a four-point shot, I believe, this year, so that's going to be interesting to see. I'm going to go with Davis Bertans, the Latvian laser. I feel like at times he's been really locked in. Who knows? Just as you mentioned, it it's all depends if a guy gets hot. Sometimes guys can make like 15 threes in a row, and then sometimes you just have a really rough performance out there where it just doesn't work out. But I think Bertans could be the guy. Could be Trey Young. Who knows? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, we also closing out All-Star Weekend. We have Sabonis in the skills competition. I think it's just a good coverage to him to get a little bit more, you know, airtime on TV to the national media because, you know, Pacers national games are a little bit limited. I mean, do you think this is a way for people to be able to see Sabonis a little bit more? Because with him being the last pick in the All-Star Game draft, you know, to Team LeBron, I'm kind of hoping this isn't like when Danny Granger and Roy Hibbert were on the All-Star teams where, like, Granger got, like, two points in his lone All-Star game and Roy Hibbert was kind of just there. Like, do you think we're going to be able to see Sabonis display, like, the 40-plus double-doubles? He's not going to have a double-double in the game, but basically show the world this is the guy who has, at times, put the Pacers on his back and put in a great year. Well, that's the one positive thing about him being in the skills challenge is we're actually going to get to see him on the court in the All-Star weekend because I'm going to be honest, I don't see him getting much court time. I mean, it's just the way it is. Like you say, he was he was the last pick, which, you know, I think that was more so the way the picks went at the beginning. Um, you know, the way him falling to the end, a lot of the bigs were taken right away. So LeBron really didn't need him until the end. And I don't think he necessarily should have been the last pick, but I think that's kind of, you know, a precursor to how his All-Star game is going to go. He might you know, not score at all. I, I don't know. But, you know, at least in the skills challenge, like you said, it'll get people a chance to see his his skill set. I mean, because, you know, he's a guy that's only shooting like 23% from three. But if you've went to the games and watched him pregame, he can drain those things. I mean, he's he's actually really good pregame and hitting those. So that may raise some eyebrows. And obviously his passing ability, things like that, he, he can do everything at a high level for his skill set. So, um, you know, hopefully he's able to, to showcase himself a little bit in that skills challenge. And like you said, get a, get a pacer on TV and some national coverage individually. I will definitely be tuning in. I'm looking forward to that. And once Sabonis gets down that three-point shot, watch out, NBA. I'm telling you, it's coming. That man is going to be dangerous from the field. But, hey, Jake, I want to thank you for coming on. Everybody, you got to check out the Circle City Podcast. Uh, Jake and Sam Sinclair doing a great job. Uh, tell us where we can find you on social media. Uh, yeah, it's at Jake Elrod 44 and then Circle City Sports Pod also on Twitter. You can find us on there. And then Sam Sinclair is at Sam Sinclair 96 You can follow us and listen to Circle City Sports Pod anytime. And I appreciate you having me on, Fachi. And one last point, I'm sorry your man Bradley Beal didn't get in there, but maybe we'll see him next season. Oh, my God. You had to slide it in there. Did Alex pay you to, to mention that? 
Uh, maybe just a little bit. Oh, my God. Well, everybody, hey, Jake, it was great talking to you, but no Wizards love over here. It is indie till they put me in the dirt. Thanks a lot for coming on. No problem. Get some facts and come back and see. So get your facts straight. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! For my Fachi fact of the day, we are going to talk about Wednesday night's victory over the first place Milwaukee Bucks because our very own TJ Warren, the human bucket, had 35 points on the night on 16 of 19 shooting from the field. His 84.2% shooting from the field was the highest mark in Indiana Pacers franchise history of any player who has made at least 16 shots in a game. I thought it was just the definition of feeding the hot hand. TJ Warren got pretty much everything he asked for. And on a night like that, why not keep giving it to him? But because I love you guys so much, I'm going to hit you with old-fashioned two-for-one special on Monday night's one-point loss to the Brooklyn Nets. I know, still annoying. Orvario DeMontis Sabonis recorded the 82nd triple-double in the NBA with 23 points, 10 rebounds, and 11 assists. But it was the very first triple-double of the season to not include a single turnover in the game. Anytime you can have a triple-double and not even give your opposing team the ball back once, I think that needs a special shout-out on the Fachi fact of the day. So, everybody, I want to thank you for, for tuning in today for another episode of Setting the Pace. You could find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You could find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. You could find me on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You could find my co-host Alex Golden on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. And we are out of time. I hope you have a great weekend and enjoy the All-Star break. Just a a little break for Pacer basketball, but just know we're coming back rejuvenated. And remember one thing, let's go Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. 
mypatriotsupply.com.